Would you pray with me? God, I can't think of a better song, of more appropriate words for the week that we have just witnessed in our country than this one. We have seen God this week just the horrific things that can happen when the evil potential that is in the human heart takes hold. And we have seen how much, God, this world, this nation needs the peace that can only come from you. God, we need it. We pray for it. pray for it, God, in our hearts. We pray for it in our lives. We pray for it in our community. We pray for it in every community across this country. God, I just, grief grief just doesn't know any argument. It doesn't know sides. It doesn't know right or wrong. It just floods into homes. And so for those families, God, that over the course of this week have lost a husband, a father, a son, a brother, a friend. Those people that are, have already or are about to today bury someone they love because of senseless acts of violence. I just pray that you'd be near to them. And God is broken and is spent as we are, as individuals, use us with the people we encounter to be instruments of your love and your grace and your peace. Let the words that come from us not add fuel to a fire, but bring peace. Your peace. A peace that you said passes any understanding because we don't see sense in any of this, God. So we need you. Show us a way through, God. We need that. We beg you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Yeah, I just, I don't know if the stuff hits you this week as hard as it hit me, but... um, I just don't post stuff on Facebook about that. Just, I mean, it's really rare that it happens, but sometimes, oddly enough, stuff on Facebook gets twisted and turns into arguments. It's really rare, right? Um, But I just make it as best I can something that I just personally try to do to not throw gas on the fire. You know, the conversations I'm in and in my own personal life to just try to bring God's peace, to try to understand as best I can, and it's tough. Uh, And not try to take sides other than God's side to bring peace in a troubled world. Um, And I think that's what he has us here for. All right, so that's a, there is no other way than just to do a tough gear grind and just switch into the message. I don't have a transition for that one, so you'll forgive me for that. Uh, So we're going to jump into the second message in this new series, which we're calling Hungry for More. 
And we're looking specifically over the run of this series at just nine verses. And in those verses, uh, Peter teaches us about seven virtues, seven character traits, if you will, that God wants us to develop in our lives. And he promises us that if we'll do that, that we'll have this deeper, richer, fuller relationship with him. Now, as I look through the 12 disciples that Jesus had, and I think about Peter, uh, the idea of looking at Peter's life unnerves me a little bit because he is a lot like us, and I don't want him to be, (laughs) you know? I I look at Peter's life, and I'd love to identify with any of the others, several of the other of the disciples. I'd love to identify with John. John was the one the Bible tells us that Jesus loved the most. I'd like to identify with him. Or I'd love to identify with Matthew. Matthew came to Jesus. His life was changed by Jesus. And, and within a short amount of time, Matthew just went, I love Jesus so much. I want my friends to know him. He threw this massive party, invited all of his friends to just hang out with Jesus get acquainted with Jesus in hopes that their lives would be changed too. I'd love to identify with either one of them, not Peter. But the truth is, I think once we get to know Peter through this series, we're going to find out that just honestly, our character, our behavior tends to match up more with how Peter lived his life than anybody else. Peter had this habit of leaping off the starting line And then we find him limping to the finish line. Peter was this guy who would say things. He'd get caught up in the moment and he'd just say things that he really didn't mean. Get his foot stuck in his mouth. He he would be in a conversation with Jesus and he would make promises to Jesus with words like always and never. And then when he started living out those promises, the promises ended up being lived out with words like, Sometimes and maybe. He would act impulsively at times. Like in the Garden of Gethsemane, when it looked like Jesus was going to be arrested, he whipped out a sword and cut off a man's ear. Just a servant, not even one of the guards that was coming to arrest Jesus. He just cut this guy's ear off. And then, after was Jesus, Jesus was arrested, just a couple of hours later, standing around a fire warming his hands... He even denied that he knew Jesus. But just a couple of hours later, it was just the weirdest thing. And he did it not once, but three times around that same fire. Peter had this hunger to be faithful. The problem is that he built a tower of heroic self-image on the stilts of rickety character. His intent often collapsed under its own weight. When you read the Gospels, there is no doubt that Peter desperately wanted to get it right. He had a good heart. He wanted a strong faith. But he knew exactly the struggles that you and I have in our everyday life. He knew that it took effort to grow to a strong faith. He knew what it was like in a moment to have that faith and to stand up and boldly declare his love for Jesus and his loyalty to him. But but he also knew what it was like to stand by and watch the little faith he had crumble and fail. 
so the more I think about Peter's faith, the more I realize that maybe my faith is more like his than I want to admit. Well, good morning. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, we are going to dive into that passage, just the first part of that passage this morning from the first chapter of Second Peter. And depending on how long you've been digging into the Bible, uh, how much you've been studying it, some of what we're going to look at in this opening section uh, this morning may seem perfectly sensible to you, or it may seem borderline deranged, because it has a little bit of a contradictory statement in it this morning. So let's jump in and we'll talk about it. Uh, Peter begins, as most letters in the New Testament do, with a greeting to his audience, who's going to be reading this letter. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now to the, contra- the, the little bit of this that might be controversial. He says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Now, let's zero in on what might be confusing or seem contradictory in the passage. Peter says, you've got everything you need. So for that reason, work hard to acquire what you need. Did he have a memory lapse there? What's going on? You have everything except what you're missing. It's kind of contradictory, right? It feels a little like saying, you are that one person they're searching for in Ohio who bought the Mega Millions lottery ticket this week. They drew your name on Friday. You've got that ticket for more than half a billion dollars. You're set for life. So the first thing you need to do is go out and get a job where you're going to earn a lot of money so that you won't have to worry about money the rest of your life. That wouldn't make sense, would it? It's kind of a contradictory statement he's making. It takes some digging. You have to work through the passage. But what Peter's saying actually makes a little more sense than it appears on the surface. It's like he's saying, yes, you have all the money you need. You have all the money you could want in life. But your financial advisor would tell you, you have to invest that money wisely. You have to spend it with care. You can't squander it. You also shouldn't hoard it. You have to be shrewd. You have to be honest. You can be generous, but you have to be frugal at the same time. I read this passage and I think about a family that I knew growing up, growing up in Ohio in the 70s. Didn't know them super well, but I knew them well enough to know this about them, that when they launched the lottery in Ohio in the 70s, they were one of the first families to win it big. And no, they didn't give me any of their winnings. So they lived a couple miles away from us out in the country, and they did what most of us thought was a pretty solid, reasonable thing to do with their winnings. They built a home. 
on land that they already owned. They invested all that money in the house. And they built, a, it was a bit quirky, but it was not an unreasonable house. Two stories, nice bedrooms, big bedrooms for everybody in the family. The only quirky thing they did was they put this octagonal great room on the end of the house, two-story great room. Okay, fine. You know, one little luxury in it. Architectural design wasn't the best in the 70s, so that was like a quirky thing they did. Uh, and so it seemed like a reasonable thing to do with the winnings that they got. We were all surprised a couple years later when they put that house on the market. It was their dream home. Well, then later we found out that there was a problem. They put all their money in the house. Their plan was, you know, invest the money in the house. We'll keep our jobs. Another 10, 15 years, we'll retire. No big deal. They didn't factor in what it was going to cost them to pay for insurance and taxes on the house on a monthly basis. Even keeping their regular jobs, they couldn't make that monthly payment on this monstrosity of a house they built. And so two years in, house went on the market, they had to sell their dream home and move away. See, I think in this passage, as Peter talks about faith, what he's advocating for is a common sense approach to faith like those people should have had with their lottery winnings. Peter's encouraging common sense. He says, look, you have all that you need for life and godliness. But living that life is going to take some discipline. Living that life is going to take some diligence on our part. Just because everything we need for that life is there doesn't mean that we'll always put it to the best use. In fact, it doesn't mean that we'll put it to any use in our life. God provides us for everything we need. He provides everything we need for a good, for a good godly life. At the point we accept Jesus, the Bible says that God releases all the resources of heaven to help us. He gives us his love. He gives us his grace. He gives us his forgiveness, his strength, the Bible even says that all of the power of heaven is released for us to live a godly, full life. Those are ours because of our personal relationship with Jesus. Faith gives us that solid foundation. Now, we can have all of those resources available to us, all that God gives us, but unless we make every effort, Peter says, towards the right thing, even though we have everything available, we can still end up wasting our lives. We can waste that gift God has given to us. That's why he says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Now to Peter, faith is so basic, he doesn't pause. He doesn't explain faith. He just barrels right past it. He says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And then he goes on with the list of the seven virtues. He just assumes we have faith in place. We understand what faith is and how it works. But I want us to pause. I want us to spend some time this morning looking at faith. Because it's crucial. To have a solid faith. The Bible affirms that over and over again throughout Scripture. 
Galatians 2 says, we know, Paul writes, we know that a person is made right by faith in Jesus. Hebrews 11, we'll come back to in a minute, says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is critical to growing and developing the virtues that Peter writes about and that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. We're going to take each one of those virtues one at a time. We're going to look at them. We're going to unpack them, see the difference that they make in our relationship with God and with each other. Faith anchors every one of those virtues in our lives. And even more than that, faith releases those virtues. It enlivens them. It sustains them. It directs them. The fact that Peter blows past faith doesn't mean that he minimizes its worth. In fact, if you go back to the first verse, he calls faith a precious gift. you have any precious gifts you've been given? Peter uses that word the same way that we use it around keepsakes and heirlooms that we might have in our life. Something that's been handed down for generations. The kind of thing that once you get it, you cherish it. Not because it has necessarily a great monetary value, but it's something that you could never replace once it's gone. To help us understand the value of that gift of faith, there's probably not a better passage in all of the New Testament than Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is the most extensive chapter in all of the New Testament on faith, and it gives us lots of important direction on Uh, what faith is. And I just want us to look at three very important aspects of faith. We're going to touch them really lightly this morning because you could do weeks on each aspect of faith that Hebrews talks about. But let's hit them just very lightly this morning to emphasize how important faith is to these virtues that are going to come. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and it's the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. The bedrock of faith is this conviction that what matters most in this world is more than matter. The material world around us, everything that we touch, we taste, we see, that isn't what matters most in life. That's the conviction of faith. And that's tough sometimes for us with our Western minds to get our heads around, to understand that the physical things in our life aren't what matter most, that there is something beyond this life, something we can't see, something we can't touch that matters most, that we should be giving the majority of our energies to. Genesis tells us that before anything we see existed, words danced in the emptiness. And from sheer nothingness, God spoke and created rock and water. God created fruit and feather, hoof and hide, simply by speaking words. The Bible assures us that that same voice still speaks today. And that everything on earth lives and moves. Everything has its essence and existence because of him. Faith is a confidence that what matters is more 
than matter. Faith says that the God of the universe who existed before this world matters far more than anything else in life. Hebrews also says that faith is the confidence faith is the confidence in what we hope for. Something beyond this life. Through faith we believe that the creation emerged out of things unseen and that all of creation is marching towards something beyond our imagination. Something that Jesus promised us 2000 years ago that he was leaving to prepare for us that is beyond anything that we could possibly imagine. And all of creation is marching towards that day when he'll return and take us there. Because of faith, we trust in God. We trust in what he has done. We trust in what he's doing now. And we trust in what he has promised to do and will continue to do in our lives. We trust that as much, maybe even more, than what some people trust in only what they can touch, taste, and see. Hebrews 11 goes on to say this about faith. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. There is incredible deep truth and meaning in those simple statements. True faith is a conviction, a confidence, not only that God exists, but that his existence is the one reality that explains and defines every other reality in our world. In Acts 17, Peter was speaking to a group of philosophers gathered on a hillside. He quoted one of their philosophers to explain the truth of God, and he said this, everything in existence depends on God, for in him we live, we move, and we have our being. I love this passage from Hebrews, Hebrews eleven six that says God rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's the same point that we made all through the book of James when we did that series. And we said, if you have a faith, that faith is only true faith if it moves you to action. Hebrews is saying the same thing here. You have faith, it's going to move you. It's going to show up in moving you towards pursuing certain things in this life. Specifically here, it's going to move you to earnestly seek Him. It's going to move you to seek Him in the beginning. It's going to move you to seek God, pursue God continually throughout your faith relationship with Him. Jesus established clear priorities about what we run after, what we pursue in this life. Lines right up with James. Lines right up with Hebrews. Jesus, speaking to the crowd gathered, said, look, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he'll give you everything else you need. That was a hard message to the audience he was speaking through. They were, many of them, impoverished by the Roman occupation. But his message was clear. Don't worry about where you're going to live. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about even what you're going to eat or drink, your daily sustenance. God knows what you need, he said to them. God is going to take care of you. Now, few of us have that challenge in our lives. We're going to go home to a refrigerator today that has food in it. We've got water running into our homes. 
We have lots of other distractions in our life that God has to get our attention from in order to get us to actively, earnestly seek Him on a daily basis. To build our faith. To get us to invest some effort to seek Him. To go after His promises. To see the rewards in our life. I've been doing my best to follow Jesus most of my life. Doing my best, not doing it perfectly. And I have to agree with what Peter says when he says it's going to take effort. It does. Following God, living a life of faith is harder in many ways than just following my own way, just doing what I want. It's a life that has called me to give up pride, to give up selfishness, to work on those things in my life. And I'll be honest with you, listening to my friends when they point out things in my life I need to work on isn't easy. (laughs) Listening to my wife when she points out things in my life I need to work on isn't easy. And if I'm totally honest, I'm in one of those seasons right now where God is pointing out things in my character right now that I need to work on. I don't like that. I like it better when God points out things that he likes in my character. Those are, those are better communications. Right? That's hard. That takes effort. To listen to God and not dismiss that when he says, here's a blind spot. We're going to work on this for a while. What I find is that those are seasons in our lives. And they feel long when you're in them. But when you look at the whole run of your life, they turn out to not be as long as they feel. And over the run, when we're in tough times, if we hang with God, He can do some amazing things with us. Because his goal is to build that strong faith and to build our character. And if we hang in there, God can do some amazing things in us and sometimes through us. Near the end of Hebrews 11, there is this list of amazing people. People who chose God above all else in life in some pretty tough things. Things I pray none of us ever go through. They held faith tightly in the face of things, even death sometimes. Hebrews says they were amazing people. People who conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword. People whose weakness was turned to strength and became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Some of the women... (laughs) Some of the women even raised the dead to life again. They went through some rough stuff. Now you have to read the whole chapter to get the right perspective. In the end, it was their faith that saw them through that tough stuff. 
The perspective you need to see, though, is the tagline on, on the chapter is not. <laughs> they all lived happily ever after. We sometimes want to wrap that up and put that bow on. It's not it. It's not it. It's just not. The tagline is not, God gave every one of them exactly what they were praying for and hoping for. It's pretty much a 50-50 split in Hebrews 11. And that last section makes them all sound great and God saw them through it. If you read their story, they went through some tough stuff. Some of the ones earlier in Hebrews 11 died in the middle one of them talks about him being sawed in two. I don't think that's what they were praying for. They didn't get exactly what they prayed for all the time. So the epitaph on the story and on some of these people wasn't they got exactly what they asked God for. That's not how prayer works. It's not how faith works. But here is the epitaph on the story. Here is the final word on Hebrews 11 and faith. In the end, what God said of all these people who had great faith, the world wasn't worthy of them. what you once said about you when your life is over there's one thing one thing that could sum up our life put on our tombstone I can't think of anything better God said this about these people in Hebrews 11 all because they had a little faith faith that God would do what he promised faith that God would turn their weakness to strength faith that God was bigger and stronger than any challenge they were up against that God would take whatever foundation of faith they had and would work with it to enable them to face whatever storm they were facing in life, whatever life threw at them. But he was in that, and he'd stay in that with them right to the very end. And I'm convinced that God is ready to do the same thing with you and with me. Today. If we'll just have a little faith.